and welcome to Scare You to Sleep. I'm your host, Shelby Novak, and I'm going to read you some true stories sent in by your fellow listeners. How are you this week? Feeling a little weary? Life in a bit of a flux period? Hopefully I can take your mind off of it for a while. Before we begin, I'd like to announce that I'm doing a little stint on the Nightlight Podcast, a show where hosts Prince and Freddy discuss horror movies. I'll be a guest for the whole month of March, where we'll be delving into home invasion horror. The first episode comes out Monday, March 4th, so keep a lookout for that. Now, let's move on to some true stories, shall we? This is from Miguel. Hi Shelby, thanks for allowing me to share some of my childhood with you. This story comes from a very early part of my life, when I was about four years old. So my recollection of it is hazy and is largely based on the stories my mother and aunties have told me. But for the story to make sense, I need to provide some insight into my family and Filipino folklore. Apparently within each generation of my family, there have been members blessed with the third eye, gifting them with the ability to sense, see, and even interact with the supernatural entities of the Philippines. According to some of my older relatives, the gift allowed our ancestors to develop rapport with known entities around the areas which we lived. Being that our family was one of the first to establish themselves in the then sparsely inhabited island of Boracay, Philippines, there would have been entities abound in the surrounding jungles. Some such entities believed to be local to our area are the Duende, or Nuno Sapunso, Tagalog for Old Man of the Mound. They are small, mischievous, goblin-like beings who are said to enjoy the company of children, but are quick to anger to the point of stealing and eating said children. If anyone is disrespectful to their homes, which appear as small mounds of dirt under large trees in the jungle, you would say Tabi Tabi Po, which means, pardon me, sir, in order to show them and their homes respect. I learned this tradition from my relatives at a very early age. While I was not fortunate enough to have this family gift of the third eye, my little brother was, and he apparently showed it at a very young age. He would often stare into the far distance when outside looking into the jungle, and would babble and react to things that no one else could see. He also had the uncanny ability to settle himself when left inside his crib, a feat which I can assure you as a father of two is not common for babies, and could often be heard laughing to himself as if someone were attempting to amuse him. While it is hazy, I have my own memories of walking into his room to find him flailing around and giggling giddily while staring at the blank ceiling. My mother and aunties would often joke that my brother was chosen by the local duende as their favorite plaything, and it was the duende who were amusing him as he was in his crib. 
This terrified me, as I had heard stories of Duende taking and eating children. But my mother reassured me that our family was always careful to be respectful of the Duende and their homes. It was one afternoon during the hot season, while a number of my extended family were gathered at my home, that my brother's relationship with Duende became apparent. My mother and a number of aunties were in the kitchen, busy preparing what would be the extended family's dinner. I was in the living area with my cousins, playing games and engaging in general roughhousing, those things you do as kids when the adults were too busy to keep an eye on you. At that point, my brother had been put down in his room for a nap, but was due to wake up for a feed at any moment. I heard my mother's voice from the kitchen shouting at me to check if he was already awake. Usually, I would have been able to tell if he was awake through the sound of his giggles. But that afternoon, I didn't recall hearing anything. So, I left the company of my cousins to go check on him. When I entered the room, it was eerily quiet, and I saw no movement coming from my brother's crib. I moved closer to get a better look and found his crib empty, with him nowhere to be seen. I immediately began crying and screaming, Duende, prompting my mother and a number of aunties to come rushing in to find me next to the empty crib. Panic ensued as all the family rushed around the house looking for my brother who at this point could barely crawl, let alone get himself out of his crib. After what felt like an hour, but was most likely a few minutes, of panicked searching, one of my cousins began to call out from the front of the house. As everyone rushed out, we were astonished to find my cousin standing next to my little brother, laying in the front garden. His cheeks were red, and he was breathing rapidly, and according to my cousin, he was hot to the touch. My mother immediately picked him up and ran him to our car, driving with my auntie to the hospital, and leaving me and the rest of our extended family in a confused but relieved state. Apparently, according to my mom, my brother had been suffering from a heat stroke, and they were lucky to get him to the hospital when they did. To this day, my auntie swear that the Duende had noticed that my brother was unwell and were trying to get him help. I don't know if that's really what happened, but I'm just happy that my brother was, and still is, safe. And I am still definitely saying Tabi Tabi Po whenever I come across a small dirt mound under a tree. Thank you so much for sharing that story, Miguel. That was fascinating. Thank you for sharing so much about your culture and folklore, and I admit I might be saying that as well when I come across a small mound of dirt under a tree. Wow, that was really interesting. I'm so glad your little brother is all good. I'm so glad that they got him to the hospital. And wow, what do you think might have happened? Do you think it was Duende? Do you think it was something, uh, I don't know, more explainable I don't know let me know out there how have any of you out there also had any run-ins with the Duende I'd be really interested to hear more stories about it I'd never heard of that and I'm it's so fascinating it's so interesting how so many cultures have their own version of like 
mischievous little guys. <laughs> um, all right, moving on. Again, thank you, Miguel. That was just so interesting. This next submission is from Vic. Hey, Shelby. First, I wanted to say how much I love your podcast. Thank you. I usually put it on when I drive home from college, and I like to save it for that so I can have a long, scare you to sleep marathon. I was listening to your last true horror installment, 17, I believe, this weekend while I drove home, and I decided it might finally be time to submit some stories of my own. So, I go to college in Denton, Texas, and one of my favorite smoke spots is Old Aldman's Bridge, better known to online horror fanatics as Goatman's Bridge. I've never personally seen the Goatman that I know of, but I also tend to avoid the place at night. That's when all the paranormal investigators and tourists flood to the place, and for my purposes, it's not so great to have a crowd. My friends and I usually go around late afternoon so we can watch the sunset and not have to worry about someone stumbling upon our activities. This particular time we had arrived a little earlier than usual, so there were still a lot of people jogging on the paths and fishing in the river. Our usual spot is across the bridge, a little ways down the path, and then off a lesser known path that forks from the main one to a small cliff that overlooks the river. It's usually a great spot because the tree blocks people's view of us, both from the bridge and the path. However, this time, there was a man and his son fishing off the cliff directly opposite ours. There was also a couple with a dog who kept jogging past us closer than we were comfortable with, and it happened so many times that we figured they were trying to suss out what we were doing. We ended up deciding to stake out a different spot, further down the river, so we packed up our supplies and crossed back to the other side of the bridge. I was leading my friend on the path, thinking I knew where we were going, but it seemed like we had been walking forever. I was trying to find our usual spot across the river, but it was hard to differentiate the landscape through the trees. We decided to just walk down the riverbank to try and feel for where we were. When we emerged, we saw that we had walked all the way down to the river's bend, and we could no longer see the bridge. That in itself kind of freaked us out, not knowing where we were, but when we looked behind us, we realized we had completely missed this random tent that had been pitched in the middle of the woods. We had been too busy keeping our eyes on our feet so as not to trip over rocks that we hadn't seen it when we passed. It was zipped up, but we couldn't see anyone around who it could have belonged to. It looked like someone had been there recently, though, as there was a fire pit outside that looked like it had gone out not too long ago. It was about 50 feet from where we were standing at the river's edge, so we decided to just light up and keep an eye on it. Kind of stupid, I know, but we figured whoever was staying there wasn't there now. It was also getting dark at this point, as the walk there had taken longer than we had anticipated. We wanted to do what we had gone there for and then get the hell out of Dodge. My friend and I were puff puff passing the joint quickly, and whoever wasn't puffing was keeping an eye on that tent. 
I had just finished my turn and gone back to looking at the tent when I noticed that it was no longer fully zipped up. It had been unzipped only a little, but enough to have a gap between the fabrics. Panic had my heart jumping to my throat as I looked closer into the darkness of the tent. It was almost so dark that I didn't see it, but a glint of light made me realize that I was staring right into someone's peeking eye. I grabbed my friend's arm, scooped up my bag, and we booked it the hell out of there. She was alarmed, but after I quickly explained what I had seen, she began running beside me. My heart was thumping so loud in my ears that I couldn't tell if I was hearing footsteps behind us. But the thought of being chased had us making the trip back in almost half the time it took us to get there. Thankfully, we made it without incident. I wonder though, was that just an unhoused person seeking shelter in the woods? Or was it potentially the goat man himself, waiting for nightfall so he could scare the shit out of tourists? Obviously, it's probably the former, but I like to think that maybe that was my one glimpse of the famed demon of Old Aldman's Bridge. On another stoner adventure around Denton, my friends and I encountered someone we now call the Hat Man. Despite there being no Benadryl-induced hallucinations involved, we had been joking about the Hat Man for weeks at this point, so we thought it only fitting to mantle this guy with the title. So anyways, we were staking out somewhere to smoke, and my friend, the driver, decided to take us to the parking lot of the Mary Kay Corporate Headquarters. Why he thought it would be a good place to light up, I have no idea. He had backed into the furthest parking spot from the building, and we were surrounded by trees on three sides. The car was packed, all five seats of the Volkswagen Passat taken. I was sitting across from the same friend who accompanied me on the Goatman adventure in the back seat, and another friend was sandwiched between us, computer in their lap, working on homework while we smoked. The windows were down, so I had a pretty clear view of the trees around us. Suddenly, from behind my friend's head emerged this tall-ass man, wearing a huge bomber jacket and a headlamp. I hadn't seen him emerge from the trees. He was just suddenly there. Not exactly running, but definitely walking with a purpose towards us. He'd gotten so close so quickly, and despite being able to see that our windows were down, he hadn't tried to call out a greeting. I told my friends that there was a dude walking towards us, and everyone thought I was fucking with them at first. I reiterated that, no, there's actually someone walking towards us, and he doesn't look friendly. And thankfully, they took me seriously that time. Less than a second after seeing him, the friend who was driving had turned the car back on, flipped it into drive, and taken off across the parking lot. The whole time he was doing that, I was yelling to my friends to roll up her windows, but she was so out of it that she didn't get them up until we were well out of the situation. It wasn't until we were in the turn lane to Bucky's that we realized the severity of the situation, or how quickly it could have soured. So many questions and subsequent theories had been born from that night. Why was he wearing a headlamp? Why was he walking so quickly towards us? Why had he gotten so close without yelling a greeting? How the hell did he just come out of the trees? We have two theories as to what he was up to, 
but there's always the possibility that his intentions were not so pleasant. We try not to think about that too hard. So here are our two most logical theories. He was either a security guard who was telling us to get the hell out of there, or potentially an unhoused man who wanted to bum a smoke. Still though, how the hell did he just come out of the trees like that? And no security guard I've ever seen was wearing an oversized brown bomber coat and a headlamp. The bomber jacket could have totally been hiding a gun, so I'm forever grateful to my friend who was driving for getting us out of there so quickly. Moral of the story, if you're going to college in Denton and trying to find a place to smoke, just go to a friend's apartment. Be safe and always remember, it's better to be out of a smoke than in real danger. Thanks for taking the time to read this and keep up the amazing work. Thank you for those, Vic, and for the little PSA at the end for fellow Denton stoners. This next one is from V. When I was around seven or eight, we moved into my Grammy's house. I got a bigger room than I had back at my grandpa's house. My dad and stepmom helped me set up, and for about a month or two, everything was all right. Nothing weird or anything, but the loud neighbors upstairs. I had already been prone to nightmares, but this one stuck with me. I believe it was either a spirit communicating its life, or maybe it was a past life. It was surreal. The first time I had this nightmare was about two months after we moved in. I went to bed as per usual, getting read a book by my stepmom, as my dad was at work until late. After having been put to bed, I drifted off pretty easily and slept for most of the night not even getting woken up by my dad coming in to say goodnight after he got home. I awoke in a room on this metal table. I had leather straps over my chest, legs, and arms. Doctors were around me, and I was poked and prodded at, feeling every prick of a needle or hand gripping at me for what seemed like forever until I passed out only to wake up later on another table. Doctors or scientists were talking, but I could barely hear them. My arms were covered in cuts or bruises. For whatever reason, I took the scalpel besides the table and stabbed it into my heart. I woke up with a start, crying and shaking. I ran into my parents' room and ended up staying the night in their room. Since that night, I've had that same nightmare about five or six more times. Each time, it felt more real. My parents calmed me down each time, but after the third time, they got sick of it. I haven't had the nightmare since I was about 10, after I ended up doing a research paper on the Holocaust because I wanted to know about it after learning my family history. Some of my family was directly opposed to Hitler and openly expressing that soon being thrown into a concentration camp. I saw pictures of the rooms, almost instantly recognizing it. As I was only 10, I was scared and stopped doing the project. Later on, I picked it back up and I asked my Grammy about it. There was a girl about my age who passed away from my family in the camp. I didn't put the pieces together until later. 
To be honest, it was the most scary repeating nightmare I've had. A recent picture came up from my Grammy. I don't have it, but she showed it to me the last time I visited her, like right after I had submitted my email, lol. And the girl in the pictures is apparently my great-great-great-aunt, or something like that. She died in the concentration camp when she was still very young. And I think she showed it to me to try to communicate with me. I'm not sure, but it just creeps me out a bit. Or what if I was her in a past life? I'm so confused, but I thought you'd like to hear about it. Thank you so much for taking time to read my emails again, and I hope you have an amazing rest of your day. Sincerely, V. Thank you, V. That was really fascinating. It's so interesting that you, your grandmother had that picture as well. Um, by the way, the note that uh, V had made that said right after I had submitted my email. So V had sent me an email and then said, actually, can I send you an updated one? And that was the update. So that's really interesting. I don't know much about past lives. Um, I don't fully know if I believe in them. I don't know. Uh, I'm not trying to shit on anyone's beliefs. I just, you know, I don't know. I've tried to do some past life regression, like (laughs) at home guided meditations and things. And that's pretty interesting if you're ever, you know, looking for something to do on a Friday night. Uh, Highly recommend. It's it's a fun little exercise. It gets a little weird sometimes, especially depending on your um, inebriation levels. Um, I would be reading this next story, but my cat is in front of my monitor. Clara Bow, the people would like to hear the next story. If you could move, please. Thank you very much. This next story is from Daniel. Hey Shelby, huge fan of the show. I've been meaning to send these in, but only ever think about it after listening to yet another true horror episode. Well, here you are, Daniel. I went to a small liberal arts college in the city I was born and raised in. Not a small or big city, but somewhere in between. As with most places here in North Carolina, everything is saturated with history and hauntings. For instance, my high school had a fourth floor that was sealed off where a student died. We found a hatch in the biology classroom closet that accessed a series of corridors behind the walls with a ladder up to a locked scuttle door that we never dared to open. Every few weeks, there's a very long but interesting ghost walk tour around downtown and the historic district, and you can't hardly go to someone's house for a dinner party or sleepover without some kind of ghost story. Floating lights going down the hall, secret brick stairways, possessed rocking chairs, silhouettes and mirrors, footsteps in the upper bedrooms, on and on. My college was no different. Founded in 1851, half the buildings had some spirit, legend, or campfire story, and all of them had dark and creepy corners to poke around, including a nature trail behind the chapel in the marshy woods, the kind you couldn't walk two feet through without running into yet another spider web. I was a commuter all four years, since my parents were barely five minutes away and it saved me quite a few hundred bucks per month on my student loan payments. It also meant that I often had nowhere to go between classes or in the evenings, and, not wanting to go home yet, I often felt stranded and alone. 
So if I had to pull late or all-nighters in the computer rooms or music building, that meant a long and lonely walk across campus in the dark to my car. This first experience actually became the basis for a short story that was published in Hearth and Coffin Lit Mag this year. As I was exiting the building that housed the procrastinator's computer lounge sometime after midnight, working late on a due-tomorrow paper, I found a cat sitting about ten feet ahead of me. There was no one else around, completely dark and silent on campus with only a few lampposts lit. It just sat there, with its tail flicking, watching me. I love cats, and of course I tried to befriend it, but it ran off down the same path I had to go to the commuter parking lot. I walked on, and every time I got close, the cat would sprint ahead another 20 or 30 feet and sit again, waiting for me. This carried on across most of campus until we reached the back of the admin building, the oldest structure on campus. Faded and stained stone and brick, rusting iron fire escapes, and floorboards warped and squeaking with age. Once there, the cat darted along the building to the mouth of the open crawlspace door. Now, I'd been down there once before, when my friends and I were screwing around. It was a concrete-floored cellar space. Cinder block walls, old toilets and broken sinks scattered everywhere, and a series of square cinder block cloisters, one with an old wooden table and chairs around it, another with a lone wire dangling in the center of the room, curled up and tied around itself, like a noose. The space kept going on, but we only went that deep that night before we got creeped out. So, as I watched, the cat paused at the crawlspace door and looked at me over her shoulder, waiting for me. As weird as the night had already been, I started to get the creeps. It locked eyes with me and then darted into the crawlspace, disappearing. Biggest and fastest nope of my life, I went straight on home. The second most remarkable occurrence happened at the end of my senior year, the last day of everything. Classes done, graduation complete and only the last few stragglers were still loading their parents' cars with their crap. One of my closest friends, we'll call her Corinne, was an RA for most of her time there. Her senior year, she was an RA of the all-girls dorm, which laid claim to two ghost stories. The first of a girl on the third floor that had died in the shower, found bleeding out with the water running over her. The second, a self-hanged student from the tree just outside the entrance. Though, the only thing I ever saw hanging in that tree was a pair of women's underwear somehow pulled all the way up the fork of a 30-foot branch my freshman year. It still baffles me. On that final day, Corinne was the last one in the building, and I was lingering and helping her to shut up and lock up. On that final day, everyone had signed out, their IDs deactivated for access to the building, and we knew for a fact that we were the only two people in the building. Corinne had the only remaining access card. We split up and went through each floor, making sure all the lights were shut off, everything was cleaned out, collecting and reporting anything left behind. Once we got to the third floor, however, we stuck together, 
It was an old building and hadn't been updated in a long time, the third floor least recently of all. It was really more like a finished attic space. How I imagined servants' quarters in the barely furnished spaces of Victorian stories would look. The ceiling was low, at most seven feet. For reference, most doors are six foot eight inches tall. And unlike the rest of the building, plumbing was visible running along the ceiling and the walls. We began checking each room. Because of the roof line, not every dorm had a window. So with some lights already off, it was eerie. Like playing a game of hide and seek without knowing who or what you were playing with. About halfway down the hall, we walked into a small windowless dorm, much like all the others. Sad and lonely now that it was devoid of the bodies and life that it had held all year, and the bathroom light was off. For whatever reason, more than any room before, we felt uneasy and jumpy in there. You know, like foreshadowing. We carried out our duty, looking under the beds, checking the drawers, and Corinne was ready to bolt out of that room. I insisted we had to check the bathroom per requirements. It was the type of space that you couldn't have both the room door and the bathroom door open at the same time. And as we stood in the adjacent doorways, making jokes about stupidity and survivor tropes in the scary movies, the shower turned on by itself. Needless to say, we both jumped out of our skins and out into the hallway. Corinne refused to go back in, but I decided to check it out. Not usually my style. See my aforementioned cat, nope. But I figured it had to be some kind of prank. Maybe one of our friends, one of the other RAs, or Corinne's boss, who was an adult staffer in charge of the RAs. The bathroom was barely big enough for a sink, toilet, and fiberglass shower. You couldn't stand in the center and fully outstretch your arms in any direction, and the door swung outward, so I didn't bother to turn the light on. There was no one in there, and the water was running cold on full blast. I turned the water off, and we did nothing more than cursory glances through the last few dorms. The building consisted of three long halls stacked on top of each other with stairs at either end. So while it is possible someone could creep around without us seeing as we were going in and out of rooms, there was no way for anyone to sneak into that particular dorm behind us and there was no escape without us seeing them, even if they did. It's one of the few truly unexplainable things I have personally experienced. I hope you enjoy these little spooks. I know they're a little anticlimactic compared to the demons, time slips, and matrix glitches often on your show, but even though I've seen a few weird things and had a few bad feelings, these two have always stuck with me. Thank you and take care. There's a lot of sickness going around this time of year. Thank you so much, Daniel. That was fantastic. That was very eerie. That second story, oh my god. I can't imagine hearing that shower turning on. <laughs> I would have reacted the same way as you two, just bolting out of there. You have very good instincts. You have very good non-horror movie instincts, it seems. I know you went and had to turn the shower off, but, you know, what are you gonna do? But that first one, where the creepy cat was, like, leading you into the demon basement, um, and you said, no thank you, not tonight. 
and went went on your merry way. So great job there. And wow, what a creepy... I know you didn't say the name of the college or anything, um, but what a cool what a cool university like that sounds awesome uh if anyone recognizes it from all these descriptions um go check out that basement will you or maybe don't maybe i shouldn't send people into a creepy unfinished basement that's that that could be a liability for me (laughs) but maybe um ask around about the the spooky stories like the girl in the tree and the extra mystery how did the girl's underwear get in the tree (laughs) all right on to our last story of the night. Thank you so much, Daniel, again. This is a third man story from Matt. And just a reminder to those of you who may not have listened to my third man episode. Um, it's a dark Reddit. I believe it's the le- the last dark Reddit that had the most recent dark Reddit, I should say. And um, the third man effect basically is where you hear those stories. A lot of them you've probably heard where someone got into a car accident and they had a woman or a man pull them from the accident. And afterwards they ask, you know, the first responders or they ask people around and no one else saw this person pull them from an accident, from the accident. And they say like no one else was there. And um, there are a lot of stories of hikers getting lost and swearing they had a companion the whole way while they were lost trying to find you know uh, anything anyone (laughs) while they were starving to death in the wilderness or freezing to death and they swear there was someone else with them but again there just wasn't anyone there so that is the third man effect so let's hear what matt's story is hello shelby i've got a third man story for you 25 years ago, my wife and I and our two sons were driving home from a graduation ceremony. We got caught in a monsoon of a rainstorm. I was doing maybe 20 miles per hour before a wiper blade was blown off the windshield. I stopped under an underpass to fix it. My wife stopped me and got out to do it herself. Suddenly, there was a tremendous bang. Then, darkness. I regained consciousness and looked around. We weren't under the underpass anymore. My wife wasn't in the car, and my glasses were gone. I got out of the car and quickly realized I'd been rear-ended. I looked around, but without my glasses, I couldn't see my wife. The back end of the car was smashed in, and I couldn't open either back door to get to my boys. Next thing I know, there was a woman standing there. She hadn't gotten out of a car, as there wasn't one around to get out of. She was just there. She asked if I was okay. I said no, my neck hurt, I was dizzy, I couldn't see and couldn't find my wife. She said that she was a nurse and told me to go sit away from the road and that she'd stay with the boys and keep them calm until the firemen who'd just arrived could get them out. I could see her shape go to the car as I sat. Eventually, the boys were cut out of the car and we were all loaded into an ambulance. My wife was in there. When we were hit, she was thrown and knocked out. If I'd gotten out, I'd have been thrown into traffic and killed. At the hospital, my wife and I spoke. She too had spoken to the woman. The nurse told my wife that she'd coach the firemen on cutting the car so as not to hurt the boys. 
The next day, she called emergency services and the police to get the woman's name who had helped, so that we could thank her. Both places said there was no woman. That is so bananas, Matt. That's wild. That is a true blue third man story. Uh, that's. I'm so glad that you're all safe, by the way. And not only just a third man story, but the intuition sort of moment of your wife being like, actually, I'm going to get out and check the wiper blade. And the realization later that you would have been killed. I mean, this is... What an incredible story. You must have felt so fortunate afterwards, so blessed. And clearly someone was watching out for you, this mystery nurse, whoever she was, and wherever she may be now. So thank you so much. Thank you for listening, everyone. And I wanted to say very quickly, next week I'm going to be doing another voicemail episode. I haven't done one in quite a while. I think it's been a couple years now, actually. So please send me your voicemails. The, the phone number is in the show notes. You can see it there. And let's see, I'll read it to you too, just in case. The phone number is 323-546-8764. Feel free also to text that number with your questions if you don't want your voice played on the episode. I'm kind of treating it as a voicemail episode, but also kind of a Q&A episode. So I put out on social media, if you didn't see, go ahead and call that number if you'd like to leave a voicemail, if you'd like to ask me questions, or try to scare me. I always love it when you try to scare me. So try to scare me, ask me questions, feel free to, uh, again, text that number. Or if you want to remain anonymous when you're asking questions, I know we can all be a little shy sometimes. You can go to scarytosleep.com and there's a contact submission form on there and you put in whatever information you'd like and it goes directly to me. So if you'd like to leave off or leave a fake email address, I can't remember. I think it makes you put in an email address. But, um, or, you know, and put in just anonymous or anon in the uh, name portion and ask your question. That is also completely fine. And of course, go ahead and call me if you'd like. Call me, leave me a message, ask me a question, just leave me a comment if you'd like. If you have some, I don't know, constructive criticism, sure, let's just make it kind of a free for all. Uh, feel free to ask, again, AMA, ask me anything. Um, so that'll be next week. So, I'd give you like, you know, over the weekend, um, those I can do pretty on the fly because I'm just reacting to whatever you send. So let's say until maybe let's say next Wednesday, um, the 28th, let's say the 28th, that's when you have until, and if you get in late, maybe we'll, I'll have enough to do another one of these, uh, again soon. They're just so much fun. And I actually remembered it because Google was like, Hey, your Google number is going to expire if you don't use this. And I was like, oh no, let's do one of these. So go ahead again, text the number, call the number, um, leave me a contact submission form, whatever you'd like. I'm going to compile. And I've already had a couple people DM me questions on Instagram and I did see them. Um, so I wrote them down on a pencil and paper, like the old days. <laughs> and so uh, on a pencil and paper with a pencil on a paper, you know what I'm saying. You know what I'm saying. So please do that. Um, again, if you'd like to follow the show on social media to keep up with little announcements like that, you can follow it at Scare You to Sleep. 
and that is on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. If you'd like to follow me personally, you can follow me at Shelby B. Novak on Twitter and Instagram. And let's see what else. Oh, if you'd like to submit a true story for the next true story episode, send it to scarytosleep at gmail.com with true story in the, the, the subject line. Subject line. And if you'd like to submit a fictional story for the more usual episodes, feel free to send those also to scarytosleep at gmail.com. By the way, I've had this happen a few times recently. If you want to submit a true story to me, just send it. Just send the story. Um, I had someone reach out on the contact submission form actually and say, hey, are you interested in me sending you this true story of this crazy thing that happened? And I tried to email you back to say yes, and your email was incorrect. It just, it said that it was an incorrect email. So I couldn't say yes. So if that was you, yes. And you don't need to call, you don't need to message me and say, would you like to hear this story? Just send it in. Some of them won't make it on the show, um, just due to volume and uh, content and things like that. But um, it, feel free to just send them. You don't have to ask me. And because sometimes I don't get to all the emails. There are a lot of emails. I get a lot of emails, which is great. That's great. It's a great problem to have, but it is just me. So please just send them, uh, go ahead and send it. You don't need to ask. Uh, same with the fictional stories, by the way, if you have a fictional story, I've had quite a few people who are like, Oh, I wrote this story called this. Would you want it? Just go ahead and send it. Um, and then I'll just, I'll, I will file it into the, its correct little category in my little Gmail account and get to it as I'm reading through submissions for both categories. Okay, now that I've lectured you enough <laughs> about how to send me emails, God, what a bore. Uh, speaking of bore, uh, I if you would like to become a $3 and up Patreon member, there is a new Ramble You to Sleep out on the Patreon. It is over a little over an hour long. And I tell the story about the scammer that I came into contact with a couple weekends ago. So check that out if you like. Again, that's for the $3 and up tiers. And for as little as a dollar a month, you get all the episodes ad free. And $3 and up gets you all the bonus episodes like Ramble You to Sleep, aka Bore You to Sleep. And here we are at the, speaking of rambling and boring, here's at, here we are at the ramble episode, ramble portion of the episode. Wow. Some, you can tell these rambles really are off the cuff because I always stumble over my words because I do not have them scripted. Let's see. I left myself a little note to talk about. Oh yes. The voicemail. That's all. Okay. So I already, I already talked about that at length. Um, so this week, did I bake anything? No. I didn't bake a gosh darn thing this week. Um, I mentioned, I think, last week that I've been really wanting to make that coconut cake, and I just haven't. I just haven't, everyone. I just haven't. In fact, tomorrow, I'm going to be going to the county fair, and I'm going to get a giant donut. They make these things called Texas donuts. I'm sure, I don't know if it's just, (laughs) it's weird to say the Texas donuts. I don't know if it's just in California, but they're always at the fair every year here. And so I, and I'm pretty sure they traveled all the California fairs. I don't know if they traveled to other ones, but they're called Texas donuts. I can, you can probably imagine why it's cause they're ginormous. They're big and they're so good. They're like really good donuts though. They're not just like big donuts. And that's the only thing they're the, whatever their recipe is, they make the best just glazed donuts. They're so good. I used to get them every morning and they're huge. Like God, 
you know, teenage metabolism. I used to get one every morning when I used to have a pig. Um, Oh, fun fact about me. I used to raise pigs for the FFA. (laughs) I had a pig every year for the FFA and, um, I'd wake, I'd be there at like 4am and the donut place would open at like five or 6am and I would get one every morning with a coffee. Ugh, beautiful. I love fair food. Fair food's amazing. Um, I'm, I feel like it's very uniquely American and I, please don't come for me. I just mean that like fair food is always pretty wild and it's like, it's like just so American, so American. I mean, I know at some fairs you can literally get deep fried butter. That's like pieces of butter that had been dunked in, in like batter and then deep fried. I mean, what, what more could you, could you want? I love fair food. I'm so excited to go. I used to be a rides gal, but now I'm, I, I fear death. I've, I've realized my own mortality and fair rides scare me. They seem like a blast. I love a good ride. I'm a roller coaster fiend, but fair rides, I don't know about them. You know, there's horror stories. I don't know about them. So, uh, don't know if I'll be riding any rides just cause again, very r- realizing my own mortality a lot starting a new starting my new life can't risk it <laughs> can't risk it on the zipper you know um so fair food is where it's all at and arts there's always beautiful art there i know there's always like the crap building where it's just a bunch of people selling stuff selling like random stuff do you guys have those at your county fairs do you do like county fair type things in other countries i don't even know it's just again this feels i'm not going to say uniquely american because i have no idea but it just feels very american the way we do i know you all have festivals and things but like the way i'm sure you've seen on youtube and things like look up like minnesota i think has that really giant fair that everyone loves um i know texas has a big one too california has a few big ones but um if you're one of my out of the U.S. listeners, which I have many of you, there are like a lot. Like, yes, my U.S. listeners are the mo- is where I have the most. The U.S. is where I have the most listeners, sh- I should say. But there are a lot of you from other countries. So take a look at a YouTube uh, video of someone going to a county fair. It's it's a beautiful thing. You'll probably <laughs> be so disgusted or horrified. I don't know. Or you'll look at it like a Willy Wonka's Wonderland of a a little bit of horror, but a little bit of, wow, I'd really like to try that weird food that that person's eating. Um, Yeah, that's what it is. It's a little bit of Willy Wonka. Uh, Speaking of uh, Glasgow, you guys had that Willy Wonka thing going on. I saw that all over the internet recently. Okay, I really am. I'm just having a one-sided conversation with no one who's there. Just in the room by myself pretending you're all listening you're all you're all uh responding someday someday we'll have a big meetup that'd be cool have a big meetup and i just i'd love to have a meetup where i got to just like hang out with you guys and talk to you and just like i don't know grab a beverage and some apps and talk about stuff talk about life that's one thing i've been missing lately is like those i've been craving one of those late night conversations where you're just like up all night talking to someone about just everything and you realize it's the sun is coming up and I haven't had one of those in a long time and man I could really go for one of those anyway all right now I'm getting all on we on you (laughs) uh I'm gonna go 
I hope you enjoyed this True Stories episode. I hope to hear from you next week. I hope to hear your beautiful voices over the voicemails um, or see your beautiful words written down or probably a few not very beautiful words written down, if we're going to be honest, because judging by some of the um, comments I get on Spotify, some of you get real mad at me sometimes. Um, Yeah, but I was going through my Spotify comments today and publishing and unpublishing and there were there were some doozies in there it's so funny there's a few people and i'm sure you're listening now who listen every week and comment every week and they're mad every week and i'm like are you like are you in love with me because i don't know why else you would listen every week if you hate it like you know that kind of hate that's so so much you know hate and love there's a there's a fine line between them so i don't know we'll see are you in love with me uh comment down below (laughs) all right i'm gonna go i need you all to drink water i need you to do that drink water go get some sleep sweet dreams